You're listening to Incorporating Superpowers with the Voice of Reason, risk mitigation expert, and former counterintelligence agent, Justin Reckla. Get ready to rip apart the veil as we dismantle old school business and prepare for what comes next. Business will never be the same. Welcome back to Incorporating Superpowers. My guest today is Aaron Bear. And folks, we are going to be having, we're going to have a lot of fun on this conversation because it's all about exponential theory, thinking big, and well, evolve or die is really what it comes down to. If you want to stay relevant, you're going to have to learn to remain relevant. And that is going to require us as a society, as individuals to evolve into something bigger. Aaron, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Justin. Glad to be here. Now, Aaron, you've done a thing or two in the world. I know you're a professor at ASU. You're you're a big, huge, huge change agent here in, in, in the Phoenix metro area and globally. I mean, talk to me about some of the programs that you're coming uh, that you're coming up with right now that you're part of that's that that stems from this concept of bigger thinking, exponential theory. Who who is Aaron Bear and why should people listen? Got it, Justin. Well, um, as you said, I, I consider myself a change agent, um, looking to make the greatest impact I can with the time that I have. Um, what projects I'm really working on is I'm, I'm launching a venture studio. Uh, we've raised a considerable amount of money that we're going to deploy to find some of the best startups to really accelerate them to be exponential. So using a lot of the stuff that I've uh, crammed in the book around uh, my 15 years of research of how some of these big thinkers have thought exponentially, how do I help the next generation of leaders adopt those methodologies and really scale their leadership to think exponential? Because it is very different than the linear leader that was able to chronologically look back and say, this is why I made these decisions. The reality is we're just on an accelerated pace that we have to think bigger than we've ever had to think about before. I'm also working with a company called Ken and Carta that's really on an exponential growth path where they've just past 2000 consultants. I'm head of digital transformation, helping them really drive solutions and organizations. So they survive, like you said, and I even say thrive into the future because of leveraging cloud technologies. Um, the reality is every as things have become digitized, the, the speed is sped up and companies need to adapt to this uh, cloud technologies to be able to keep up so they can continue to, to be lean, iterative and agile so that they pivot as their business model is obviously going to go through a lot of fluctuations. As we see, every business is really in a process of reinventing themselves right now. Even your your big companies like Apple are moving to subscription models and different things that uh, you would have never thought they would be able to do 10 years ago. But you see this reinvention of even the product mix and how they're actually going to market. Um, A lot of the mainstream platform companies like Facebook literally renaming themselves Meta to, to think about where they're going to be in the future so they're not irrelevant with the technology they have today. And I think that's important for all of the small business owners as well, is that a small business owner can be better at one thing than any of these big companies. And that's what I had the privilege of for the last 15 years of going around the world, going in and out of literally very small companies in Tel Aviv or Shanghai or Shenzhen or Singapore or London and literally meeting these companies that are going to disrupt the world. And now they're disrupting the world. And that's what I kind of captured in this 15-year journey that I, I title Exponential Theory, The Power of Thinking Big. And hopefully, um, you know, can 
can inspire some of your listeners to uh to get a copy absolutely though folks this is if you have if you don't have a copy of exponential theory definitely pick up pick it up or or, or come meet Aaron live at one of the venture cafe events here in phoenix he is a co-founder of venture cafe here in phoenix and um folks if you're not paying attention here there's a lot going on there's a lot changing there's a lot shifting and it's not just technology but it's consciousness as well it's it's being able to forward vision stop looking back at the old stuff and create new stuff and get on board we're going to talk about what that looks like right after the break but before we do aaron where can people go find more about exponential theory the book your work in in, in the things we're going to be talking about today i think the best place is my website aaron bear a-a-r-o-n-b-a-r-e.com uh, all the information is there you can connect to my social media as well as how to buy the book and uh, learn more about things that i'm i'm involved in some of the different projects so Fantastic, folks. Go take a look at Aaron's book. Go take a look at his website. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? Then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today. Welcome back to Incorporating Superpowers. My guest today is Aaron Bear, the, you know, the author of Exponential Theory. He's a change agent and he's out do, in the world doing some amazing things. And he's here to talk about, well, what the future looks like, what it, what what thinking big looks like and what it's going to take to remain relevant. Now, now, Aaron, before the break, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about uh, AI and cloud and so forth, but I want to bring it back to you to the human aspect first, because all of those technologies come down to the humans, right? The individuals who've had the courage to bring the future to us now. And in my world that, that happens in, in the consciousness space. Right. And when I look out across the globe and across the playing field and whatnot, what I'm seeing and what I'm realizing is that businesses who have more conscious awareness of what the whole needs are the ones that are actually shaping the future. The ones that are out there solely for how much money can we make, how much money can we put into our pockets tend to be from what I'm seeing tend to be like struggling because they don't know how to shift because they're, they're dependent on old business models and it's not, they're not, those business models aren't necessarily relationship. They're more transactional, right? That's what's generating the thing. What, what are you seeing? I mean, you're out in the, you're out boots on the ground working with these companies. What are you seeing from the, where, how, how uh, the consciousness space is impacting the future? Well, as you looked at everything's been digitized, right? And that's what's gotten us on this exponential acceleration. And where that leads in the book, I have the six Ds, it leads to democratization, which democratization means giving equality and access and giving, you know, um, really making your technology so that people can use it to benefit from it. And, you know, I often say is uh, technology is a good thing. It doesn't doesn't always mean that people use it in a good way or you know, I always say, use technology, don't let technology use you. And the reality is um, some companies that, you know, own your data, own, you know, own you, if you choose that 
you're going to actually go in there and every day and spend time in that environment, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatnot. And I think we have a huge um, issue um, with social media, you know, taking people's time and productivity, as well as cancel culture, compare culture, all of these issues that kind of break down from this algorithm that has been trained just to get you to be sticky to see the next thing. It's a dopamine hit that just keeps you running on the treadmill like a, a guinea pig. But I, I often say like one of the things that we have to do is act, you know, and I, and I got this from a, a, a student of mine, Richie Norton, act from your future, not toward it. And if you start to live in the future and you say, who do you want to really be? And you look back at who you are now. But if you start acting like the person you want to be, you'll start to see very much clearly that you can live in an exponential pace. You can do things bigger if you're thinking bigger. And I think, you you know, you've you read the book, but you're familiar. I've, I've created this rule called the Rhodium Rule, um, which, you know, many of your listeners probably have heard. The Golden Rule is treat others as... Um, you yeah, want to be treated. There's the platinum rule, which I found out as I've been out speaking about this is not many people know the platinum rule, which is treat others as, as they would want to be they treated. Want to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I, and I thought a little bit bigger about this. And I think what's important today for leaders is the rhodium rule, which is to think about the entire ecosystem. So think about everybody in that ecosystem when you're making a decision. There's lots of unintended consequences. And we see it with our political leaders. We see it with our you know, corporate leaders that they're making decisions for a few, and that's actually causing a lot of issues for them. So I think the rhodium rule, which is, uh, you know, just really to expand to help people think bigger, is you start making decisions like Amazon has uh, a seat at every table when they have an executive meeting and the seat represents the customer. Um, so that's literally trying attempting to bring the customer into the conversation. What would we do for creating the earth's, the world's earth's most customer-centric organization, you know, they've really created part of their culture, this idea of bringing the customer. I think you have to bring in suppliers. You have to bring in your different partners and everybody that's kind of part of your ecosystem, not just thinking about your stakeholder, stakeholders or your shareholders, thinking about all of your stakeholders. And so the Rhodium Rule is something I've created that when I when I talk to leaders, CEOs, and we really get down to it, it's it's something that is very hard for them to expand their mind around. And it takes a little time. There's lots of times that they have trauma about different stakeholders that they've dealt with. So it, it's working through those issues to, to understand that we have to, when we make decisions, we have to think about benefiting more than just the specific people that we have in the past. Because that's led yeah. us here. And, and honestly, right now, the present, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things going on that we could do a lot better. Um, yeah. So we have to think about it doing something differently going forward. Yeah, imagine imagine where we would be if corporations just didn't focus on creating shareholder value, but actually creating actual value for society and creating win-win-win solutions, right? We've old business has stopped at the win-win. It's good for the business and people get to buy shit. That's that's great. Well, now what, right? What what about everything else that comes with the waste and in in the efficiency and what about the guy at the very bottom who did you take him into consideration right did you did you take care of the employee did you look at the customers who don't want to buy things that way are you providing other solutions right it's it's more about just creating that that shareholder 
win that shareholder value. It's but it's like like you said, I love that. It's the that the whole economy, right? That whole the whole picture of you know, is any part of the apple that we're that we're creating, is any part of it rotten? You know, or does the entire thing shine? Is it good for everybody? I absolutely love that. That is with the world going faster and the world getting smaller because of technology, it's really the only way businesses are going to be able to sustain moving forward, I believe. Yeah. And I, and I think it, you know, the the public and, you know, what we have seen that social media has enabled is the masses have a voice and we're hearing that voice loud and clear that things need to change. So leaders need to, you know, this rule is pretty all encompassing as you continue. You can go very deep with this down every rabbit hole that you could possibly think, you know, it's the planet, it's people, it's, you know, your purpose. What are you here to achieve? You know, and I, I think of that as, our ultimate goal is how do we actually achieve our peak potential so that we make the world a better place? And I think Aristotle said that is the purpose of life. And, you know, here we are every day doing things with technology, understanding that we can make a much greater impact than we ever thought we could. And it's kind of why this company, uh, Ken and Carter, I joined um, as head of, head of digital transformation. And, and part of the goal of that is that they're a B Corp. So a B Corp is a benefit corporation. It's conscious capitalism. You know, they think about sustainability. They think about all the different people. This is part of encompassing that rhodium rule. And it, it really, it's it's amazing that I stumbled across this consulting firm um, after I've been out, you know, talking about my book, Exponential Theory, because you'd think that I wrote it for this company because they're really making a, you know, a, you know transformational difference in the clients that they're working with. And, you know, their tagline is to make the world a better place for everyone. And I think that's, you know, an important part of today and the rhodium role is really living into that and living into the, you know, acting from the future and, and not literally thinking about what right now, what what are the problems, but how do you overcome those? And I think we'll we'll find much bigger solutions. A lot of times we're just sweating the small stuff and we get caught in the details and then yep. we're not able to make the impact that we think we can make because we we literally talk down to ourselves and that's a whole process that when I coach um, clients is helping them kind of unpeel that so that you actually can think bigger because it's amazing how many self-limiting beliefs we've taught ourselves and then we actually believe them and then we live into them. And that's not going to be the future you want to live into. No, and you're, you're absolutely right. And, and the companies that are able to see in not only vision forward, but then reverse engineer how to get there are, are going to be the ones that that survive I and mean, the ones that don't reverse an engineer right i mean i'm going to just pick on the automotive industry right now right the automotive industry is so outdated tesla's killing it because the way they're doing business there should be no reason why we've got tens of thousands of autom of uh, unused automobiles sitting abandoned on empty parking lots right it's ridiculous and not not to include the hundreds of thousands thousands if not millions of unsold vehicles that are sitting in open fields somewhere those are resources that we could have used for something else right those business models are dependent on government handouts because that's the only reason why the automotive industry is still here right, right now because had they not been bailed out they wouldn't exist so how do how do we change companies like that? How do we, as consumers, as people who have a voice, right, as businesses, how how do we demand or 
drive impact to where companies like that who are obviously their business model is so outdated are they just going to are they just going to fall off on their own or Well, um, so, you know, the companies themselves, if you, if you look at them that are, that are out there, they're, you know, we'll take automobile companies. And I used to consult at one of the largest, the oldest automobile company. And I always said, you're driving a, you're driving your fastest car straight towards a cliff. And I don't know that you're going to be able to slow down before you go off that cliff. And, you know, the reality is most of them have driven off that cliff. Now, whether they can find a parachute before uh, it collapses is the case. So I think part of it is the demand and the transformation that we're going through. You know, you know, there is some reality here that we have to figure out how we transfer to a more sustainable um, economy. And, and that goes yeah. to, you know, I, I know Elon Musk said this the other day, it doesn't mean that we go completely away from gas or these different things like energy companies Correct. have to figure out how to transition to this. Now we have to act with diligence though, because, you know, I mean, and I'll, I'll just, I'm just going to put it out there is like climate change has happened. And it's it's very clear, you know, when you look at uh, the UK and different places and the weather that we've had, um, the reality of the future, um, when you when you look at that for companies is they have to consider that when all their shareholders are going to start demanding that. So you're seeing these companies make late changes to adopting to a new business model. But if you were the best at building a gas combustion engine, and that was your competitive advantage, it makes it real hard when people's jobs and people's livelihoods is all embraced around their proudest thing. And that's where you see these big companies have a real hard time making the transition. It's not that they don't recognize the changes in the world. They just think they're going to be different than the rest of the world. Unfortunately, there's no one immune to the changes that are happening. And that's where all these massive changes, you know, whether we... Um, like them, believe them, whatever conspiracy theories are out there, you know, the fact is, is that good business is actually thinking about how to do it a better way. And that means that we have to slowly transition and make deliberate decisions that are sometimes harder, sometimes more costly, but they actually will lead us to not be a Kodak or a Blockbuster or a company that didn't make the changes because they thought they were immune to those. Um, yeah. As you said, many different industries have been bailed out um, that we wouldn't have anymore if if we didn't have some government subsidies and, and different things. And I think, you know, part of that is really recognizing the fact that we need to figure out better government, private government partnerships. And I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, like even Tesla as an organization and the subsidies that were provided to them, you know, most of the gas car makers are <laughs> were really always fought that. If you ever saw who killed the electric car when it was uh, General Motors, there's a documentary on it. It's an interesting one. Um, but it is in our best interest to think about the future because our customers today, and this goes to politically, it goes to business, it goes to everything, is we have such a short-term mindset and, and big corporations, they think about, you know, the analyst and the stock price and this quarter. So they're not making the investments in long-term decisions. And that's, you know, very tactical. And we can get to strategy. We're a little bit midterm, like, hey, let's get a three-year plan. But we really have to take every organization on this plan. It has to be transformational. Because if they're going to exist in 10 years and 15 years, 
And this is this is just a truism. Like the S&P 500 went from an average of 67 years down to now 15 or it might Ooh. be a little less now. So that's the lifespan of a company on the S&P 500. So every company is in this challenge to, you know, one, do the tactical things, figure out the strategic things. But what I would say is really the transformational, which to me, and it's it's reason why I'm banking my career on, you know, the future of cloud and just the fact is how do we make technology and things easier for people? Not that it replaces people. We're going to need more people to actually do this. And that's what we've seen in this economy is we've always feared this scarcity mindset. But the reality is it's going to take lots more people to manage the systems of the future than what we have now. Um, we're going to do it in a much better way, uh, much safer. Uh, and you're going to see a transformational of how people spend their time. Um, I write a little bit about this in my book. I think that exponential theory is when you start thinking bigger, it frees you up to kind of figure out what's important to you. And I think going back to your point of consciousness, you know, it's it's that we have to think think bigger about the planet. We have to think bigger about every person. And I'll put a controversial, there's a book called Against Empathy out there by um, a guy named Paul Bloom. Um, and it, it's a really interesting book because it talks about empathy, really focuses us on, you know, empathizing with an individual, yet we don't think about the system. So it goes a little bit against my rhodium rule is well, in there, what he really is arguing is that we should have rational compassion. But the reality is empathy is me saying that I walked in your shoes. It's never possible. In fact, it's inherently, you know, dangling with lots of biases. And that really limits our vision to say how the world would work. And that JC even goes to like, um, there's there's people in the U.S. that, you know, blockchain as a solution has never been because they've never had uh, the bank system shut down on them or these different things. Or, and maybe some people have here in the U.S., um, yet our bank system isn't a, isn't a perfect system. And if you come from countries like Argentina, where the central bank changes the currency overnight and different things, now you start to see like these solutions really matter to the rest of the world. And I think it's also thinking about that in a rational, compassionate way, not an empathetic way of like getting the, you know, and I, I'll use Joe the plumber or, you know, when you kind of put a face on something. You start to say, I'm going to have empathy for this one person, but it just, it literally deludes you for making a decision that's right for all people. So it's not that I'm against empathy in any, any way. Um, and it's not really what Mr. Bloom was was really sharing. But what, what he's making a point of is a lot of times we're skewed by empathy because we are making a decision for someone that's right in front of us, but we're not actually making the right decision, the unintended consequences of that. And we can see that as some of our, our our past two presidents, our past, oh, I guess all presidents. Presidents. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter what party you're from. It's you see this galvanization of, you know, empathy for the cause of the people that vote for that person and not yeah. for the rest of people, which yeah. um, really causes uh, causes some friction. And I think as we become more conscious and more educated, we're starting to rise above that and we're going to demand more. And I think we're seeing it now as you know, old tactics and old business models, politically or business, just aren't working. And, and we're seeing a change um, as people are, are obviously evolving to think about things a little bit bigger than themselves. Mm, absolutely love that. Brilliant, brilliant answer. Thank you for that. The the empathy is, is something that we teach here as superpower experts. It's a very powerful superpower, but you're absolutely right. It's designed, empathy is designed 
for the relationship, right? It's designed for the relationship. It doesn't necessarily provide solution for the for the whole. It provides solution or or comfort or connection in relationship, but we can't make solutions. We don't we shouldn't be looking for solutions just in the individual relationship. We have to take the entire system into play. We for lack of better terms, we have to empathize with the entire Yep. system right we have to think bigger than just the individual we have to look at the collective right that's where books like tribal leadership come into play where we're talking about it's not just the old way of doing business and here in the united states especially we have to get out of this u.s centric mindset and realize that the u.s is not the center of the universe and in that the world's much bigger and i think that the companies who are going to survive are going to be able to provide global solutions for everybody, regardless of where they're at, rather than just focusing on a market in the U.S. or a market in China. It's going to be, it's going to, if it's going to fit everybody, because we're we're becoming a well, we are a, a global economy. We are a global a global group of people that are working together for for, for better purposes in the future. And I think Justin, on the, to make that point, and I, I used to have this on my license plate, and people were often confused by it. But I had the global, so this idea of global is local, and yeah. what we're actually seeing now, and and I actually had this Thunderbird Global School Manager because I was, I got an MBA there and an entrepreneur residence there, but I, I had this idea was is the more we focus globally, what we're learning is the solutions are local, <laughs> so. It is thinking about the entire world, but then creating local solutions that adapt and have that rational compassion for that ecosystem. And all the ecosystems have to think about each other, you know, like the U.S., you know, as much as 5% of the population, but we're 35% of the carbon footprint. So we're going to penalize India and China who are now catching up with us and passing us and saying, you can't do that. We've done that for the last, you know, 100 years. Um, we have to think about a bigger solution and we have to think about technologies that move us forward and not necessarily this resistance just to change the strategies of the past. Um, the reality is we have to think forward. And that's where I think is think from the future is what would the best solution be for us in the future and companies between here and there. And I have this thing in my book called the merging technology stack that you might have looked into that talks about these 38 emerging technologies. And the reality is between now and some date, I don't really date it because I have no idea. I'm not a fortune teller, but something's <laughs> going to happen. All these technologies are, are burying themselves on the market. They're coming to market and they're changing every industry and every small business and every person and how they'll spend their time, how they play, how they have relationships. And we've already seen that change. Yep. The bottom line is between now, here and there in some future state, you can stick your claim on any one of those emerging technologies and find a future state that's probably different, but you can be part of that strategy to reimagine the future. And that's really what exponential theory comes out to is how do we actually reimagine a better future so that we can live into it? And the reality is up to every single person, you know, every listener on this podcast that ever listens to this podcast should know that it's up to them to obviously make an impact and think about their peak potential on this planet. And obviously think about other people with radical compassion, rational compassion, and think about the world in a way that you think about the environment that you're not putting harm on it. I mean, it comes from really simple solutions 
to very complex very, very quickly. But that's the beauty of it is we have people like David Katz in Vancouver that created Plastic Bank. He was, you know, at the ocean, fed up of seeing trash drift ashore. I think he was in Bali, Indonesia. And he created Plastic Bank. He started collecting these plastic oceans. And now companies like Hinkle and different companies are basically using his recycled plastic from the ocean at a premium in all of their plastics. So didn't necessarily say let's, you know, plastics we do realize are probably not the best solution because they're so cheap and easy, but they may be a better solution if we can recycle them and we can figure out these methods because he's now creating an economy where people are actually collecting these and turning them into the bank and getting money and creating an ecosystem that just solves at the root problem, but doesn't change the fact that we are already living in this problem, that there is a solution to that problem. And I think that's part of thinking bigger. Uh, another one is Tony's Chocolate Only. It's a company out of Amsterdam. And uh, a good friend of mine, um, Enzo Benzaten, was the spokesperson for them. And I would often take groups of executives to their chocolate factory. I mean, kind of Willy Wonka style. Uh, we'd walk out with a bunch of gifts and everything. But the beauty of this chocolate is they created a chocolate company based on the sole fact that they would end child slavery in chocolate. Wow. And what they've recognized is that almost all chocolate is built off of slavery and mostly in Ghana and Western Africa. And so they and even fair trade and all these different things didn't really uh, visualize this problem. So their goal is not only for their company to solve this problem, that they would create accountability for themselves. They have an annual report that literally says when they fail, like, like I think they were 98.3% successful. And they found out that there was slavery in one of their chocolatiers that are one of their cocoa, you know, farmers. And that's, you know, them correcting that. And then obviously bringing a fair wage, bringing a much higher wage up. So there's not slavery. So their chocolate bars are not inexpensive. But I tell you, after you eat this chocolate, I'm not going to say it's better, but it feels better to eat chocolate that you know, that wasn't built on the back of slavery. So all of a sudden yeah. now when I, I look at a bar and I, I'm not going to point out companies because many of these companies are now adapting these policies. But say when you look at a Hershey's bar, an Nestle's, or in, you know a Good Eva, all these companies, literally, I start to think about this idea of slavery. Child slavery had to get this chocolate. Is it really worth it for me to eat it then? And Ooh. that to me is a company solving such a big problem by just changing the mindset of people. And now they're a hundred couple. I mean, they're on their way to a couple hundred million dollar company you know, one of the fastest probably chocolate growing com companies there is um, and really changing the world because other chocolate companies have now adopted their practices. And that was their goal. Once child slavery does cease to exist, their company's purpose has been fulfilled. They'll go find a new purpose. Now, hopefully, hopefully they don't take the chocolate away because now it, uh, it's fun <laughs> chocolate to eat. So, oh, Good stuff. It, 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 and I love that you bring that up. It's not just about conscious businesses it's also about conscious consumerism of what are we giving our money to what are we buying and are we holding companies accountable well we are holding them accountable for not giving them our money because the way they're practicing their business their business model their business practices if it creates things like slavery and they're doing whatever it takes to get their product to market and they're not being conscious of the world, right? At this at this point, then we get to decide, we get to choose, and we do that by what we buy, when we buy, and how we buy. Aaron, this this conversation, you and I, I have a feeling you and I could probably talk about this kind of stuff 
for for days, weeks on end. We we both address it from from different from different perspectives, but we we're seeing the same thing. And I love the fact that you've written this book, Exponential Theory. One more time, where can people go find more information about you and the book? Well, you can buy Exponential Theory on Amazon um, or Barnes and Noble or any bookstore, and then you can find out more information about me at AaronBear.com. A A R O N B A R E dot com. Fantastic, folks. If you're a consumer, you're not don't have your own business. Get conscious about who you're buying from, and if you're in business, think bigger. Reverse engineer how you're going to be around in the future so you can make an impact. And until next time. Go out there and incorporate your own superpowers so you can change the world. Take care. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.